All right, Psalm 16. I'll read verse 1, you verse 2, and let's read this together. Ready? Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my God, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Can I just stop and say tonight, I thank God for my goodly heritage. Amen. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What a great verse, that verse 11. I, that's a good verse, man. You get into God's presence, you're going to have some joy. Amen? Get into God's presence. I think maybe one of the reasons there are so many joyless Christians in our day is because we just don't spend enough time in His presence. Because when you get into His presence, the Bible said, there is fullness of joy. And uh, if you're here tonight and you're a little bit down and discouraged and everything, maybe we just need to spend some more time in His presence and get a little bit of the joy that just overruns from uh, being in His presence. Well, let's pray. Father, bless the Word of God tonight and help us, I pray, from this text, from this psalm, and encourage us tonight, please, in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us recently, and most of you have in these Wednesday evening services, we've been making our way through the Old Testament book of Psalms in a series of messages that I've entitled simply Preaching Through Psalms. And tonight brings us all the way up to the 16th Psalm. And once again, we find that David is the writer of this particular Psalms. But we have a word tonight in the superscription of this psalm that we haven't ran into yet as we have made our way through these songs, and that is the word mixtum. You see that there right at the top there? It says mixtum of David. I found out a little bit about that word. There are six of these psalms that are called mixtum psalms, uh, and there are psalms of David. The others are actually found over the end of the 50th uh, chapters of the book of Psalms or divisions uh, like 56 through 60. And all of these Psalms that are titled that mixed them there uh, were actually written by David during a very dark period, dark time of rejection in his life. And that word mixed them actually comes from a word meaning gold. Gold. It comes from a noun and the word actually means gold. So I think what we're being told here in this psalm is in a very bad time in David's life, in a time of great darkness and great rejection, he had uncovered some gold uh, that had sustained him. You know, really, as we look at this psalm tonight, Psalm 16, there are really two phrases in this psalm that kind of sum up, sum up the uh, entire Christian life. 
If you look there at verse number 7, we have the two words there at the end of verse 7, night seasons, night seasons. And we know that sometimes in the Christian life we move through those night seasons. Obviously, we know that night is a time of darkness. And darkness is usually associated with uh, uh, hard times. I don't know what it is about, uh, about darkness, but it seems like any time that you're sick, maybe you have the flu or whatever, and, and you're sick, it always the symptoms of it always get worse after dark during the night season. Uh, if you have a fever, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like a fever always spikes once again in the night seasons. And we all understand that as a Christian, it doesn't guarantee us of the fact that there won't be some night seasons, some dark periods in our life, some tough times in our life. We all know that. By experience tonight, we all understand that to be a child of God does not exempt us from going through some night seasons. But then if you'll look back up in the same chapter in verse number 6, right in the middle of verse number 6, we have this phrase, pleasant places. Pleasant places. The word pleasant simply means enjoyable or refreshing or sweet or delightful places. So I think all of us in here tonight know that the Christian life, while there will be those night seasons, we're not always in a night season. Am I right about that? Now, to hear some people tell it, they always are in a night season. Uh, you know, some people, when they stand up and give testimony, it's just always about how bad things are in their life and, and so forth. And I've heard preachers before, and I probably, probably have even made this statement my own self, but I've heard preachers say, well, you know, as a Christian, you're either coming out of a storm or you're getting ready to go into a storm or you right now are in a storm. But that kind of talk leads me to believe that, uh, you know, the Christian life is not anything but just one big problem, just one big storm. And we know that that is not always the case. There are some pleasant places in the life of a child of God. In fact, can I say it like this? As a child of God, there's more good times than there are bad times. There's more glory than there is gloom. There's more blessings than there are burdens. And as somebody has rightly said one time, my bad days now are better than my good days used to be before I got saved. Can I have an amen? Your bad days, my bad days now are better than my, my, my good days used to be before I got saved. I understand there are going to be night seasons. We get all that. We know by experience that is true. But I just want to say in the middle of all that, it sure is good to be saved. Amen. I got no sad reports tonight. We didn't come to get our violins out and, and to give a sob story because it's still good to be a child of God. Well, David in this psalm has been going through, we know he's been going through some of those night seasons. But it seems like in this psalm, David magnifies the fact that right there in verse 6, that in spite of the night seasons, that he is in a pleasant place. And he said there in verse number 6, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. You see, even though Saul was after David continuously, there were a couple of periods during that, during that awful time in David's life where things did get a little better. I, what I mean by that, you know, there were a couple of times in that situation when Saul was actually hunting David that David had the opportunity to kill Saul. We know that. 
uh, we remember that one time when uh, Saul, and uh, you know the story, and, uh, and I want to say that was in the cave of Adullam, and Saul had gone into the cave. David and his men were hid on the backside of the cave, and Saul came in to uncover his feet, which means to use the bathroom, and he didn't understand that, Saul, that David and all his crowd was in the back of the cave, and that those men started speaking up and said, man, now's your time to kill him. It sure would be good if you take him out right now. But David refrained. He said, man, I'm not going to put forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. You know, David was a man of great character and a great integrity. Had a lot more character than King Saul did, didn't he? And so David spared King Saul's life at that point. But then there was another occasion back in 1 Samuel chapter 26 when, uh, when David came upon Saul while Saul was laying in a trench and he was fast asleep. The Bible said that a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. And David and a man by the name of Abishai, and I like Abishai, and David and Abishai snuck over there to the trench where Saul and Abner and, and, the, and his soldiers were laying. And David actually took the spear of King Saul and the Bible said cut off a part of his bolster. I guess that was like a part of his girdle there and cut it off. He had a chance to kill him right there. In fact, Abishai said, hey, this is the day the Lord hath delivered your enemy into your hands. And David refused to kill King Saul. In fact, let me show you a verse in 1 Samuel 26, 9. David said to Abishai, destroy him not. They could have killed him. He was asleep. They snuck over there. Nobody knew they were there. I mean, all he had to do was pull out his spear and just whammy Saul and it would have been over. David said, no, no, we're not going to destroy him for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? He did not do that. Well, when he got back over to the other side of the, of the valley, David began to holler out. And it wasn't long till Saul was aroused from that deep sleep and David told him, hey, man, Saul, I just want to tell you something. If I would have been a, a man after you, I would have killed you tonight. I could have killed you. I mean, God brought you into my hand, and I could have killed you right here, but I didn't do that. And when that happened, at least for just a moment of time, Saul had a change of heart about David. Let me read you what he said about it. Look here. Then said Saul, I have sinned. He's talking to David now. After David is showing him the spear and the bolster that he had, and uh, he said, hey, uh, I could have killed you. And Saul said, I, I've sinned. David, I realize I'm wrong. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And it seems like from that moment, at least for a little while, Saul stopped pursuing David. In fact, here's what we read about that. The couple of verses down, it says something like this. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son. Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way and Saul returned to his place. So it almost seems like at least right now for this moment, there is a reprieve in Saul chasing David. There is, a, uh, there is a stay of Saul's uh, anger and animosity toward David. And most people believe it was during that, that time of reprieve when Saul said, hey, I'm going home, you go home, everything's all right between us. We're good now. Thank you for sparing my life. Most people feel like David wrote Psalm 16 in that pleasant place. The lines have fallen unto me in, in pleasant places. 
You know, I want to say tonight, I sure thank God for the reprieves, don't you? We're not always fighting battles as a child of God. There are some times, and I get it, the devil's real. I understand all that, and the demons and the imps of hell are, are constantly trying to hound us. But aren't you glad every once in a while there's just a little bit of reprieve, be it a camp meeting, be it a revival meeting. It just seems like you can just get into God's presence and almost just for a moment just breathe out. And there's a little bit of a reprieve, and we find a pleasant place. Well, as we come to Psalms chapter 16 tonight, David is talking about those pleasant places. And what I'd like to do, if you'll just bear with me, there are 11 verses, and we're running a little early, and I'll be through early tonight. But I want you to move with me through this psalm tonight for just a minute. And let me just show you three things that we find in those pleasant places in this psalm. Three things that we find in the Lord. First of all, join me now in verse number 1, down through verse number 3 or 4 there. And let's talk a little bit about number 1. In the Lord, we find our stability. In the Lord, we find our stability. Now, David had been and ultimately would go back again. We know even though Saul went his way and David went his way, we know that's not going to last long. We know that Saul is once again going to try to hunt David down. He, he's going to go back, David is going to go back to being the pursued once again. Saul's going to go back being the pursuer. Uh, we know that that's going to happen again. But through it all, David realizes, God sure has helped me through all this. God sure has been with me through this terrible time in my life. In other words, David said, I have been in some slippery places. I've been on some slippery slopes. But because of God, I've always found my stability. Aren't you glad there is stability in the presence of the Lord? Look at verse number 1. David mentions that, number 1. He mentions the presence of the Lord in verse number 1. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Now watch verse 2. O my soul. Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. Now, if you'll look in verse 1 and verse 2, I want to show you something. Look at verse 1 and verse number 2. We have three different names for God in those first two verses. First of all, we have the name, when he said, Preserve me, O God, that's the word Elohim. And that means the powerful creator. And then if you'll move on down there in verse number 2, if you'll notice there, he says, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord. And notice the, the, the word Lord is all capital letters. That's Jehovah. And, and Jehovah is, uh, uh, is the God who saves. So we have the mighty God of creation, Elohim. We have Jehovah, the God that saved. But then if you'll look again at verse number 2, we find the word Lord again, but it's a capital L, but then the rest of the letters are small letters. And that's the name Adonai. So we have Elohim, Jehovah, and Adonai. And Adonai simply means my Lord. Now when you put all that together, you say, Preacher, I'm confused. Put all that together, we find the three great things that God is. Elohim, he's my maker. Jehovah, he's my mediator. Adonai, he's my master. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God is all three of those things to every one of us. He is our maker. Can I tell you? It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. 
Hey, God is our maker. He is the powerful creator. But aren't you glad that our maker, Elohim, became our mediator, Jehovah? He is the one who died on Calvary for us and made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. And then because of that, he has every right to become our master and to rule and govern our lives. Can I have an amen? He is our maker, he's our mediator, and he is our master. And I just want to say it again because I like the sound of it. He has every right to rule and govern our lives. And we have every responsibility to bow to his authority in our lives. Can I have an amen? David said, I find my stability in the presence of the Lord. And then I like this also, thinking along that, that last phrase of verse number 2, when he said this, my goodness, David said, my goodness extendeth not to thee. In other words, what David is saying is, there's not anything good that I can bring to God to satisfy him. How many of us know that to be the truth? If you and I are trying to pay God with the, with the money of our own goodness, we're trying to pay God with money that he will not accept. Can I have it? Amen. It's like going up here to the, filling up your gas tank for $100 and walking in there with a $100 Monopoly bill trying to pay for it. Can I tell you something? They won't accept that. It'll be rejected every time. But aren't you glad there's a God who, who, who in heaven who, who comes to us and says, when you set aside your goodness and you trust my righteousness and my righteousness is imputed unto you, then I recognize that and you can become my child. He finds stability in the presence of the Lord. Can I just stop and say the only reason that you and I can know God as maker and mediator and master is because of God's goodness and God's grace. Amen. The presence of the Lord. But then drop down to verse number 3 and verse 4. Now he talks about the people of the Lord. Stability. He finds his stability in the presence of the Lord, but he also finds stability in the people of the Lord. Now look at verse number 3. But to the saints that are in the earth. Now he's talking about the people of God. And here's what he said to them in verse 3. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Sounds like to me David loved the people of God. Can I have an amen? You know a good sign that you're saved is you love the people of God. What is that First John 3, 14 verse says? We know that we have passed from death unto life. Why? How do we know that we have passed from death, lost, to life being saved. A good sign that you have moved from the lost side of Calvary to the saved side of Calvary is the fact that you love the people of God. I, I tell you, David had depended a lot upon the people of God during these dark days of running from old Saul. David had had a lot of help from God's people during those great struggles of his life. Can I stop and say, what would we do without the people of God? What will we do about, without a church family when we go through those night seasons of life? Aren't you glad you got a church family when the night seasons come along in life? Aren't you glad you got some folks over here that will pray for you? Aren't you glad you got some folks over here that will call you? Aren't you glad you got some folks over here that'll send you a card? Aren't you glad you got some folks over here that'll show up? Aren't you glad you got some folks over here that'll just love you? 
when you're going through the night seasons of life? Boy, I'll tell you, I don't know what we would do without the people of God. And David there in verse number 3 says, Hey, I just want to give a word, a shout out to all the saints that are in the earth, to the excellent, in whom is all. David said, I delight in the people of God. Now, I get it. I'm like you. There are always hypocrites and people who say one thing and do something else. But I tell you, bless your heart, that's the small minority of the majority of the good people of God on this earth. You know, some people I go to church with, most of them, and I, I get it. I know we have some folks in here that say one thing, do something else. I get all that, but that's not the majority in here. We have the privilege when we come to the house of God to rub shoulders with some of the greatest people, some of the best people on the top side of God's green earth. Boy, we ought to delight in the people of God. But then look at verse number four. Now he switches over to the other crowd. And there in verse number four he says, Their sorrows, uh, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. You know, David had seen all these other gods. He'd been down to Philistia and saw Dagon. He knew about all that, that half-fish, half-man god. He knew about all that. He'd been over to Moab and saw Chemosh, that bloodthirsty god that, had, uh, that required the blood of the children of people to offer in sacrifice, trying to appease his anger. Oh, he'd seen all that. And David said, I'll tell you, that crowd that goes after them other gods, I want nothing to do with that crowd. Read verse 4 again, see if that's not what he's saying. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Can I stop and say this? Whatever God you worship will determine what you get in life. Whatever kind of God you worship will determine what you get in life. Or can I say it like this? Look up on the screens. You multiply gods and you'll multiply grief. I want to hang around with that crowd that believes in the one God, the true God, the only God, and the living God. And can I stop and say, I had rather have the people of the true and the living God than all the people in this world of the false gods put together. And David simply said there in verse number 4, I don't want anything to do with that crowd. Read it there at the end of verse 4. Here's what he said. Uh, their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names. David said, I'm not even going to mention their names with my lips. I'm telling you, I, I don't want anything to do with that crowd that multiplying gods unto themselves. Boy, that ought to be we, the way we ought to be as God's people. I, I think, again, we ought to be friends with people and try to have a redemptive purpose behind our friendship. But our crowd is that crowd that delights in the Lord. Can I have an amen? David had found his stability in the Lord. In the tough times, in the night seasons of life, he had found some footing in the presence of the Lord and in the people of the Lord. Now you think about those night seasons of your life that you've been through before, those dark times. Aren't you glad that there were some people of God that kind of showed up in a needy hour in your life? Aren't you glad when you had to go down to the funeral home, pick out that casket, here come your church family in, and they begin to tell you, they'd pray for you, and oh, somebody would say, well, I know how I feel, I've lost my daddy, or I know how I feel, I've lost my mama, or I know how you feel, I lost my husband or my wife, or I know how you feel, tragically, I've even lost a child. Aren't you glad you got a church family that'll show up in the night seasons of life? They provide 
stability. So he talks about, number one, our stability in the Lord. But then we come to verse number five and verse number six, and next he talks about our sufficiency in the Lord. Now look what he said in verse 5. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now in this present condition, because of all that Saul had done to David, David don't have a whole lot. He's been running for his life, remember? And remember this, his, his mattress was moss. His casa was a cave. His, his, his fortress was a forest. David didn't have anything, it seemed like. You know, we know that when Israel crossed over the Jordan River and began to take possession of the promised land, that that, that land was divided up among the tribes. Like uh, Judah got his portion and uh, Reuben got his and, and Asher and Naphtali and Levi, not Levi, but uh, every crowd, Joseph, the whole crowd got their own particular portion of land. And then that portion of land was then divided up amongst the families that made up that tribe. So uh, and li the lines were drawn. And uh, uh, this, this, this family may have got this, this field with this stream and this, this meadow. And oh, it was a pleasant place. Oh, it was great for cattle and a place to raise crops and a place to raise a strong family. Oh, they had received some pleasant places. I don't know where David's lot was, but it was probably somewhere around Bethlehem over there. That's where his daddy Jesse was at. And probably his daddy Jesse had done divided that up. Didn't he have like seven boys? And he'd probably, or eight boys, he'd done divided all that land up. And David knew exactly where his field was that he got or maybe his and maybe it wasn't a whole lot. But you know, in verse number five, David says, you know what? Just forget about all that. I got something better than that. I got something better than land. I got the Lord. The Lord. Look at verse seven. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. David said, just forget about all that physical possessions. I got something better than that. Or maybe I should say, David would say, I have someone better than that. David said, the Lord is my portion. He said, I've got something in the Lord that you can't find in houses and lands and fields. I have the Lord. The Lord is mine inheritance. Oh, brother. You know what? You remember the story in the Old Testament? And I, I love this story in the Old Testament. When they started dividing all that land up, God said the tribe of Levi, they don't get any land. You remember the story? I mean, as I said a moment ago, Joseph and Reuben and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and Dan and Benjamin and the whole crowd, they all got their portion of land. But God said, no, no, not the Levites. They don't get anything. They're not going to get a particular place. God did give them six cities known as the cities of refuge. But God said of the tribe of Levi, God said, I will be their inheritance. Now, can I ask you something? Had you rather have land or the Lord? Can I tell you something? This old land's going, and I thank God I got some land. And I thank the Lord for that. And God's been good to me. But can I stop and say this? All my land is going to burn up one of these days. In this world and anything and the contents thereof, one of these days is going to be burned up. Aren't you glad the Lord is your inheritance? Because I tell you something, 
he ain't never going to burn up. And he'll never cease to be. And, 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 and David is saying, you know, I may not have a lot down here, but he said, the Lord is my inheritance. I was reading this week in a book of illustrations, and it was about a king of England. His name was King George VI. And by all accounts, old, old King George VI was a believer. Well, he, he left England, and he, and he sailed across the Atlantic, and he came to Canada. And they wanted to honor the coming of the great king, King George VI. And to do so, they thought it might be entertaining to the king to have a native uh, of, of the land to sing a song for him. So they chose an Indian chief by the name of Chief Whitefeather. They chose him to sing a special song at a, at a, at a banquet honoring King George VI. They thought, obviously, he would sing a song of his uh, native song of his ancestries. And so they introduced him, brought him out that night, and when he sang before the king, he sang these words. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Well, when he got through singing, all those people in those positions of government were embarrassed that Chief Whitefeather would sing that song for King George the Sixth, And a hush fell over the whole entire banqueting hall, and they all awaited the reaction of the king. Well, the king got up out of his chair, walked over there to where Chief Whitefeather was, stuck his hand out and said, Me too. Can I tell you something, friend? Bless your heart. If it ever comes down between having the pleasures of this world and having a relationship with God, you do well and I do well too to choose the presence of the Lord over anything that this old world has to offer tonight. And David said, Thou, thou art mine inheritance. Me too. You know what? I have everything that I could ever need and God's been so good to me, I have most of my wants. What about you? I have everything that I need, and God in His grace and goodness has supplied even most of my wants. God has been good. And everything that I have tonight is a public confession before everybody in this room. Everything I have tonight, God has given it to me. I don't have a thing. God graciously gave it to me. So I find my stability... In the Lord, I find my sufficiency in the Lord. But then join me in these last verses now. Here's where it really gets good. I find my serenity in the Lord. Notice what he says now in verse 7. I'll bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore... My heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Now look at this. What do we find in the Lord? We find sufficiency. We find stability. But we also find serenity. Peace in the Lord. You know something? We don't have to resort to pill bottles and, and liquor bottles and dirty syringes to try to find peace in our heart. We're God's people, 
We have uh, the Lord as our inheritance. And buddy, because of that, we can lay our heads down at night and be in peace. Notice what the psalmist said here in this text. He said, number one, I'm guided by God. Look at this phrase in verse 7. I bless the Lord. Notice this now. Who hath given me counsel. Aren't you glad that in the night seasons that God gives us counsel, gives us direction? You know, I thank God for the Bible. The Bible is God's counsel for you and for me. If we'll get in our Bible and read the Bible and apply the Bible, what we read to our life, I don't understand it all to you. I don't understand. You get over here in the book of Daniel and they start talking about these horns and, man, these ten horns and somebody come over here and just got mad and pulled three of them up by the roots and stuck three more in there and put some toes on it. And I mean, I get lost in all that stuff. But can I tell you something? Bless your heart. I do understand some of it. And, buddy, from what I do understand, God has given me some great counsel in the night seasons of life. I am guided by God. Then I like this. I'm guarded by God. Look again at our text. While the Bible said there in verse number 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. You know, in our day, people are constantly moving around in so much that every time you get around them, sometimes it's almost like you've got to get to know them all over again. I mean, people are just changing all around us. They're constantly on the move. I have preacher friends like that. They, they don't stand where they used to stand. When you get around them, you've got to fill them out now. Where are you at now? And what's going on? And, and what have you changed? And what you get, I, I, I'm glad we can find, uh, in God we find somebody and, and we don't have to be moved because he's always at our right hand. And then watch this. I am gladdened by God. I'm not just guided and guarded, but I'm glad. Look at verse number 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. I'm gladdened by God. Can I, can I, can I give you this? This bless my heart. Look at verse number 10. Why am I glad? Look at verse 10. For thou will not leave my soul in hell. You say, preacher, why are you glad? Look at me. I'm not going to hell. God's not going to leave us in hell. God's not going to let his people slide off into hell. No, sir. In fact, I tell you what, God's not even going to leave us in the grave. Look what he said again at verse number 9. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. And I know this is an Old Testament prophecy about the Lord Jesus. But aren't you glad God's not even going to leave us in the grave? I don't have, listen, I don't have to go to hell. You don't have to, if you're saved, you don't have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven when I die. And God is someday going to resurrect my old rotten carcass up out of the grave and give me a brand new body and take me to heaven to live in his presence forever and ever and ever. Look at verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forever more. Boy, I say it sounds like to me a good place I want to be. God glads me by the fact of this life, but I'm also gladdened by the fact of that life. I've got glory now and heaven later. I'm satisfied with Jesus. Amen. He's a wonderful Savior. So watch this. You're not always in a night season. Every once in a while, we get in a pleasant place. Amen. It ain't that we're always having to fight and battle. Sometimes there are those moments of reprieve 
and we hit a pleasant place in this walk of life. Well, let's pray.